This is that get up on the dance shit. Fill up another glass shit. Got me two stepping in place and gripping on that ass. Say, I ain't tripping what the made say. Me and my team super clean, so we do the thing. I'm a product of black listening and biggie flows. Got me lighting up the competition like out the mold. Silly hoe. Tricks up for kids, you ain't playing me. I'm from the biggest little city, ain't no stopping me. My dad, my dog, my nigga, we chasing dreams and stacking figures. I'm trying to get a soul about the. What's up, Usos? Welcome to another episode of Why Us Podcast. I'm your host, Puny Moore, and you are now tuned in to the number one podcast that helps you pass time by providing you with information provided by esteemed entrepreneurs and small business owners spread around the world. So while you are at work, home, or even at the gym, or just driving, if you find value in this content, please hit that subscribe button, like, share, and comment. As I promised my listeners, man, I'm going to do my best to bring the best of the best out here to uh, educate our viewers, you know what I'm saying, to help our youth out there and to expand your horizon when it comes to your career eventually. <laughs> this man that we are about to talk to right now, man, that I'm so excited to eat, to bring you, this man has a lot of achievements, y'all. One of his titles, he's a high chief from the village of Falasau, Mangua, out there in the American side more. If you don't know, now you know. Not only that also part of the mason group out there in san francisco he's also a principal at a few establishments principal also known as business as i've been educated off air ladies and gentlemen he now holds a business which is uh, helps out the youth and family therapy and then another one called the pacific three strategies he's a current elected member of the san francisco democrat party emeritus vice president san francisco school board he's a formal chair youth and adolescent committee Pacific Islander Task Force, and a full-time dedicated husband and father. Ladies and gentlemen, people all around the world, man, please help me welcome my guest host, Fotuali'i Fauna Molina Politasi. Happy to be here, bro. Man, also, it's good to have you on the podcast, bro. I appreciate you taking that t- your time. I know you're a busy man, and I just uh, want to thank you again for, you know, gracing your presence here on the YU's podcast, man. You know what I'm saying? So let's go ahead and get started, man. YU's. Can you share a little bit of your upbringing? And for you to come out of Hunter's Point and become the man that you are right now. Thanks for having me on the show. You know, I appreciate it. It means a lot, you know, to have a platform to be able to share a lot of respect and love. Um, I guess for me, like, I think the most important thing is to really share about, like, my relationship with God. I think if people really understood who I was, they would know that um, probably 90% of the decisions I make in life, you know, is pretty much uh, an agreement between me and God. I just kind of been that way my whole entire life. You know, I always felt like since I was a little kid, you know, that some something somebody was watching over me, you know, from Hunter's Point to like traveling and moving all around. I think I really got in touch with uh, with the spirit when I was in American Samoa when I lived out there. I used to start going to church, you know, your mom, Auntie Luma, my Uncle Fatu, uh, and his parents, uh, they used to make us go to church every uh, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, I think it was. And I think that that really solidified like uh, my my relationship with God. And from every, everywhere else, you know, it, it has never been um, anything different other than like, you know, what is the will of God in my life? And everything that I've done, majority of everything I've done, you know, 
major decisions, big moves in terms of my life, you know. It really is like a a reflection of like my response to like uh my my communication with God and what I feel like God is telling me to do at that current time. So I feel like, you know, folks could probably see it and be like, oh, that's very different. Some of the things that like, you know, come to mind and things that I I pray and things that you know God put in my heart, you know, and like the one thing that I've always to, to listen to what God was telling me to do. Because, you know, there's that scripture in the Bible that says, you know, where there was this story in the Bible where it was saying that um one of the folks back in the days, the reason why they were they were jealous and angry at their brother was because they missed their calling from God, that they didn't listen to their calling from God. And therefore, for the rest of their lives, all they kept doing was trying to seek revenge. I think it was like David or somebody trying to kill David and all this stuff, but God always had his blessing on David. I think it was maybe Solomon or something like that. Right? I, I'm not a pastor. I'm not, you know, the theologists, I that's not me, right? I'm, I'm more of a, if I hear something, it resonates, and I'm going to take it with me. But that, that, that to me, has always been kind of my thing. Like, I've never wanted to go through life knowing that, you know, I could become envious, jealous, or hateful upon another person and put harm into their life because I refuse to listen to the calling that God put into my life, you know? So those that kind of, like, motivates me to, like, do things that, you know, folks could be like, wow, what what's going on? Like, how, why is he doing this? Or, you know, or how did he do that? Everything that's happened from from birth till now, none of it was planned. You know, I ain't planned none of this. You know, I never was like, okay, I'm going to go do this. I just like, you know, took whatever was in front of me, you know, whatever, you know, I got to prayers and just went into that direction. Oh, well, uh, this is just a personal question because I'm curious because I know and I was excited that you were going to be our future lawyer, our attorney, the man of the law. But then all of a sudden, uh, a year or two years later, while you're in the University of uh, San Jose, uh, you change your career. What what happened? Yeah, and this kind of goes back to like my previous response. I pretty much like make decisions based off of like, you know, what God is telling me at that current moment and. A couple of things was going on. I was in school. It was my senior year. There was a genocide happening in uh, Africa, in Darfur. That was the first time I actually learned what genocide was. And it just really, like, shook me to my core. When I actually got to law school, you know, I focused on, like, humanitarian law. Uh, because I couldn't believe that, like, uh, tragedy happening across the globe where mass amounts of people were getting killed by the hundreds of thousands. Right? Like, that didn't sit well with me at all. Right. So it was at that point, you know, um, I just had like this calling inside of me, you know, to really like to, for the people, like the, the, the heart of mm -hmm. the people like getting killed. Right. So, you know, for me, like when I get those callings, like sometimes it's not really clear what it is that God wants me to do, but I just kind of hold on to it. And so fast forward, I'm going to um, I'm in law school. You know, now I'm living back in San Francisco, you know, in the projects, we're in the projects. And I'm going to this little small law school down in San Francisco, which is cool, right? And mind you, law school was probably one of the best education experiences I ever had. When I got to law school, I was like, oh, this is cool, man. I like this. This is fun. I was in my groove. I was doing my thing. But then my siblings were going to school at the same time, right? They were at Burton High School. And I remember going over there and, uh, and they were doing horrible, right? Like they were doing horrible. But not only were they not doing, not only were they doing horrible, they were all doing horrible, like all the Samoan kids, right? Pretty much mm. the Samoan kids. They were all doing horrible, right? Like they said only like five had a 2.0. And like uh, 
out of the five, that's all they had was a 2.0. We're not talking about 3.0s, 4.0s, right? We're talking about only five out of like 50 plus kids had like a 2.0, you know? Wow. And part of the kids that didn't have it was, you know, my younger siblings. And so at that time, you know, you know going to church, listening to the word. And I'll never forget this. You know, I was at church one day and I, and Pastor Alex, I was going to sow that with Pastor Alex Toyina. And he preached this word, and I went to go talk to him afterwards. And I was like, what do you mean by that? You know, he said, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Right? He's like, never forget. He said, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. That's what he preached that day. And he told me, he said, listen, man, I'll never forget this. It was me, him, his wife. We sat down, and he said, you can go to law school for the next three years, come out, you know, and become a lawyer. And all these uh, youth, kids, families within the next three years are going to probably be on, on the streets, on drugs, or in jail or prostitution. Never forget that. That's what he said. He's, and then he was like, oh, you could just start serving community today and helping them out. But that was Sunday. Monday, I turned in my uh, resignation to the law school. I hit the streets, and I never turned back. You know, And so I've been in the community ever since doing work you know, start up a nonprofit, you know, to help out, you know, young women, young Samoan women, really because like uh, people ask me why I was like, well, you know, most of the women that were in my life were the reasons why I got to where I'm at today. You know, they supported mm -hmm. me, my mother, my grandmother, my aunties, you know, my, my girl cousins, you know. Um, so I felt like it was important for me to really pay homage to like, you know, women, you know, to because, you know, of my, my trajectory, you know. So go, went in, started doing that work, you know, and it, that led from one thing to another. And, um, and I was on the school board. I got elected as, as a, my first, and so, so all that to say, right, so then, like, I'm still doing this community work, and now I'm in grad school, right, and um, I get invited to be a part of the Pacific Islander Task Force. It's like, hey, we need your help, you know, come out here and help us. Um, good peoples, right? A lot of good, good, good world folks out here in the Bay Area doing good work. And, um, you know, I ended up got, getting appointed to chair the uh, Child, Youth, and Adolescence Committee, right? And so my responsibility was to come up with recommendations for, um, you know, the public health system in Alameda County, San Mateo, and San Francisco to service, you know, our Pacific Islander youth, right? Remember going back, you know, this has kind of like been like my thing. And this, now we're talking about like 11 years down the line, right? From that initial conversation I had with Pastor Alex at the church. Now we're talking 11 years later, you know, we're still on the ground, right? And so we get in there and one of the things they noticed was um, that we didn't have enough people to do the work, right? And plus we didn't have enough people in office, right? We didn't have anyone in office actually at that point, right? And if you know the name of the game, you can't really move the needle or get any resources if you don't have people in office, right? And so um, Uncle Lolo, <clears throat> Uncle Lolo, Matalasi Molina, he was running for governor around the same time. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, shoot. Well, maybe we got a little bit of good politics in us, right? That kind of like sparked my interest. It's like, maybe we got a little bit of politics in us. And I was going to grad school at the same time. So I got really interested in the topic, right? All for the sake of helping out other people. I got really interested in it. I was really, you know, I got invested in our policy class. My policy class was my favorite class, you know. There's a whole other story behind that. 
a long story short, you know, um, I remember they were like, um, you know, our Pacific Islander Task Force group, uh, part of the subcommittee. You know, now I'm working with some other folks, you know, John Nauer and those guys, uh, all good peoples, right? And, um, you know, John asked me, he's like, dude, I need you to start going to these school board meetings and going up there and talking and telling them that we need A, B, and C, right? I was like, all right. So that was my job, right? So my job was to go, you know, to the school board meetings, to go and talk and, like, advocate and, you know, let these people know what we need. So I get there, and um, one of my boys, we actually got him on the school board, my, my brother, Stephon Cook, and um, he's sitting over there, and I get there. Mind you, I'm the only uh, Pacific Islander in the room, right? And you look around, you get crickets, nobody, right? So I'm like, all right, at least I got my dude up there, right? And so they're talking about their data, blah, blah, blah. I text him. I'm like, bro, y'all not talking about my kids, Pacific Islander kids. He's like, well, come up here and say something. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, I was like, well, bro, you up there, why would you say something? You know? Like, why would you say something? Mind you, there's no Pacific Islanders on the board, no in the room, no staff, no zero. By, by that time, ain't no Pacific Islander ever won an election. I there ain't no Pacific Islander. This guy never run for school board in the history of San Francisco. And I think there was only one dude who tried to run for DCCC back in the days. But by that time, there was no one else who was running for office in the city um, other than my brother, uh, Neil Bell, who ran school board with me during that same time. But kind of going back, <clears throat> I'm sitting there, I'm like, dude, how I help you get on the school board? And you're not even going to like advocate for uh, Pacific Islander kids, you know, on top of the stage, right? It's my dude. So I was like thinking to myself, and at that point, you know, I, you know, I'm not showing up to these board meetings for like no job, right? Ain't nobody paying me, right? I'm showing up because like we got work to do. So I'm like, I'm like emotional. I'm like, dude, really? I think I ended up tearing up in that thing because I was like, damn. So that means I gotta show up to this damn meeting by myself. I got to take my ass up to this podium. I got to go up there and hoop and holler for these people to maybe even consider helping my people out. Plus, I got my dude on the board, and he's like, you know, you got to come up. I must, at that point, bro, I must have just turned it over to God, and God was like, bro, it's time for you to run. Because in my head, I was telling myself, I was like, if I'm about to come to these meetings, and it's just about to be me up in here, I'm not sitting on this side. I'd rather just be sitting on the other side where the school board members are, right? Because if it's going to be one voice, I want my voice to count on the other side. Did everything I told you that I used to do, count my blessings, pray to the Lord. And it was cool because at that point, what I do is I pray and I go around and I just check in with my mentors, right? Just to make sure like I'm on point, right? And all the stars kind of like, all the mentors were like, yeah, bro, it's time to go. Boom, 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 boom. Literally, we damn near ran the strongest campaign that uh that uh election cycle, right? Ran the strongest campaign that election cycle. We got we we ran such a strong campaign, bro. We got appointed to and I say we because it's not just me. Like people like look at it and it's like not nah, like and this is this is a thing, like, you know, it's it's never been like a me thing. It's always been like, you know, this is a this is a this is a this is a purpose thing, you know. And so I say we is like we as in like the whole the whole team, the whole movement, you know, like we ended up getting appointed by the mayor. Like literally, like I think a couple of weeks or maybe like I forget, like I think it was a couple of weeks or maybe a month before the election cycle happened. Right. 
Boom, we flying all over the place. We getting endorsed by everybody, right? Now we in the office, right? Fast forward later, we get in there, we're doing all the good work, right? Boom, boom, we can talk about that. And then I go through this recall and I'm like, you know, and it's so funny because like, as I'm going through this recall, I'm like, man, it's so interesting because like, I got into this work to help out the people because the education system from for, for my siblings and my Samoan folks was horrible, right? And now I'm going going through this recall and I was getting ready to end. And, and to me, it was like a beautiful moment of like God telling me, it's over. You can now rest, right? By then, bro, it had been like 15 years of like dedication in the community, right? And God was literally telling me like, yeah, after this, you can rest, right? So during that camp, last campaign cycle, during that recall, we was all out, you know? That's all we knew how to do. We just said, Psh put our head down and it just kept going. But I would say for me, once that once that ended, that was the ending of my, like my contribution to um, community work here in San Francisco, right? I felt like I've done everything I needed to do. I was at peace with God. I was like, okay, God, now I know why you called me during that time when Pastor Alex and I had that conversation. Because even during that time, the, the call in my head was education, right? Now I know. And it was funny because when I got on, I was like, damn, so 11 years later, this is what you were talking about, God, the Board of Education. I did not see that coming, right? So when it ended, I was at peace, and I just let it rest, you know? And so here I am now, you know? So I went, went out. <clears throat> I was able to pursue, like, one of my other dreams of, uh, you know, people don't really know. Like, I'm actually a therapist. I'm not a politician, you know? I'm a therapist. I was a politician because of the call, the, the, the will of God and his call to go and do it, right? I, I had no plans on never. You know, I'm just like, okay, you know. Um, so when that ended, I was able to go back then, and that's when I started up um, Faunga Molinga Kulatasa Youth and Family Therapy, and I also created P3 Strategies, you know, the consultant company. Um, and that's what I'm doing today, you know. So all that to say, you know, um, that's kind of like been the trajectory of how I've gotten here. So much lessons in what you were saying. One of those things that I do want to cover is uh... – you're transitioning from now that you got a job before you became one of the chairmen in the Board of Education in the city of San Francisco. What was one of the programs that that you were involved in that you see was implemented? You know, because like you said, there was no Polynesian representative. And now that you were able to get in, what were some of the things that you see the impact that you, you know, that you were able to to help the community of San Francisco? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think the biggest one was um, when I got on the school board, it was funny because I got on there. I'll never forget this. One of my buddies, uh, he was a principal at uh, George Washington Carver during the time. He said, he's like, man, you probably just say anything and they'll they'll start helping because at that point, there was nothing, right? Like mm -hmm. absolutely nothing. When we're talking about school district, right, there was zero, right? Now, what people have to understand is when you're talking about systems, systems operate based off of policies, right? Policies give systems direction. And if you don't have no policies in place that direct staff members to say, hey, we want you to support someone's students, then it's not gonna be done, right? It's just not gonna be done. It's not gonna be done systematically where it's like formalized, right? Mm -hmm. Formalized, right? People doing like one-off things, fine, right? 
But if you want something to be formalized, right, that's why people are always passing laws, right? You want to be able to put a policy in place to get direction. So we got busy, and that's exactly what I did, right? We wrote and passed the first um, FASA more, actually. I actually called it the FASA more uh, resolution. It's the FASA more Pacific Islander resolution. And people always say, like, you know, well, why'd you go with the FASA more, you know? In San Francisco, while we're in San Francisco, what you're dealing with, you're dealing with Samoans. You know, you're just going to have to call it what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was really important to um, to really instill, you know, because the other piece that I didn't mention earlier was it was my relationship with God and also my relationship with our culture, being Samoan. Those are kind of the things that kept me on my feet, you know? And so, you know, as we kind of like, you know, moved into the... Uh, to the programming and to like the work, you know, for me, it was very important for like our, our students and like our families to really get back to that move if I saw more. Mm -hmm. And so we just, boom, if you look at the, uh, if you read through the, uh, the resolution, it's a very comprehensive resolution. And I mean, it's, we have professionals, Samoan professionals, you know, we have some allies who really dug into it to really create a framework, you know, that addressed everything from mental health, special education, you know, college career. And um, it was a pipeline, right? So we call it the pre-K to college pipeline, right? But rooted in the Fasamoa and the culture, right? And so still till, till this day, it is still in place, right? So once you pass it, it is still in place. So now that I'm not on a school board, fine, okay. But the the policy is still in place. And I'll give you an example too, right? We take it back to the hometown. So Tumanua is no longer in place, right? But the right. the policy, the policy that he he helped create it, which they call the Dita Sessions, which is also a policy, it's a legislative policy, is still in place and it's helping our people out today, right? Same as like what we did at the San Francisco School District. So that was the first uh, resolution ever historically passed in this country, you know, to specifically say support Pacific Islander kids with a really intensive uh, lens around Samoan students, right? And so from that, we ended up building the um, the first pre uh, the first dual language immersion uh, Samoan school, you know, um, preschool. Here in the city, and it's it's the first of its kind. It's it's first of kind, probably like in the country for sure. You know, they might have like you know similar programs in like New Zealand, and like, you know, and places like that. But in this country, in the in the fifty states, first of its kind, right? So now you have a school, you know, a preschool here in San Francisco that are actually teaching young generations how to speak Samoan, and the culture, and the language, right? And they're just building that program so it goes from pre-K to K to first grade, second grade, right? They're building the pipeline to go all the way up. And so when I left, you know, we were able to, like, hire the staff to be able to, like, staff it, right? They have more work to do, but there's now a staff in there who literally works in the superintendent office, which you will not find anywhere else in the country, right? There's a Samoan staff that works in superintendent office under the FASAMO initiative. It's called the FASAMO initiative, right? Um so that's like, to me, when we talk about this work for our people, you know, Pacific Islanders and Samoans, you know, the number one goal when I was on that school board was if whatever happened, and plus I felt like, I was like, man, I can't believe I'm on this school board anyway. So while I'm on this school board, we're going to make sure that, you know, by the time we're done, 
that the work for our people is complete, you know, and that that has been done. You know, and when I left, I think we put about a good one point five million dollars into that program. You know, the program is supposed to be two point five. So the district is going to work towards, you know, fulfilling that whole promise. But yeah, man, a lot of a lot of great success. You know, they are not teaming up with the colleges they're partnering with the VASA program with Dr. Polita, you know, those guys are doing good work over at City College and over at San Francisco State with uh, Dr. Pony and those guys, you know. And so it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a beautiful thing. The, the culture right now is very, very strong here in the Bay Area. Yeah, but in education, man, I appreciate the answer. That's uh, well informative. We have kids that are about to graduate from high school. What academics do they need to go to or take, you know, to get into some in your area? Do you have any advice that you want to give our youth members, you know, directions, stuff that you, you know, like the top things that you that you wish you would have known where you now, you know, to get you faster to where you're at right now or was that? And as far as far as being a school board member in, this, in the city. You know, if you're interested in this area, I think mm -hmm. it's important to like get involved, go find like a mentor, you know, go join your, uh, go join your, if you're part of a Democratic Party or Republican Party or whatever party you're part of, right? There's a bunch of affiliations in your local town, you know, say go, go familiarize yourself with the process, right? And then just to sit and learn and like listen and like, um, you know, um, you'll pick up on like uh, how the system works. I think that'll probably be the first thing, you know, because again, like when we did it, when I did it, I, 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 you know, it was like, hey, we need you to go. And I was like, all right, you know, and like we just jumped straight in there. So we was like building a plan and flying it at the same time. But if you could reverse, you know, if you could reverse it and go back, you know, part of it is to get in there, get involved, you know, learn about like some of the committees in your, in your government system and wherever you live in your cities, you know, see if they got committees, that you're interested in, go learn about those committees, um, go show up to like board meetings. You know, if you have a voice, you want to voice your opinion, go to board meetings. You know, there's always a, 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 a time for the public to voice their opinions, you know. Um, but, you know, really, um, it, it has to be like something you're interested in, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I do think everyone needs to be voting, whether, you know, if it's as minimal as like, you know, voting, I think everyone needs to vote. Everyone needs to go get registered to vote. You know, everyone needs to do their homework when it comes to voting. You know, make sure you're like reading those books. You know, they hand out those voter guides. Read the voter guides, you know, sit down, make your own personal decision on who you want to elect or who you want to vote for. Um, and then go go and, um, you know, um, try to stay as current as you can on events. You know, uh, there's the news and then there's also like independent news, which I think is good, you know, but you have to do your own due diligence of, uh, figuring out like what is the truth right? part of the part of this whole thing is like what is the truth and and politics is, is is not for just everybody you know it's not it looks fun like people see it like oh you know they all trust me all that shiny whatever that that really isn't about the work the work is really done on the ground and stuff and you and, and the other thing people need to understand is you don't get paid being a politician right there's no money in politics Right. I was going to pay five hundred dollars a month working 20, 30 hours a week, you know, mm -hmm. plus a full time job. Right. So it's not like, you know, you have to be prepared for that and you have to understand what what is going to be demanding of you, you know. Um, but if it's something that you enjoy, you know, you, um, you when you go if you if you're in school, you know, I would say get involved with your uh, 
with your student government, you know, see if there's a youth and government program, see if there's a speech and debate, you know, um, see if there's um, anything that involves, you know, the the uh, the democratic process, you know. Uh, I would uh, get curious about those areas, right? Talk to your history teacher, right? Your history teachers, you know, stuff like that, you know. Um, but it's always good to be, to to get involved with uh, your local politics in a way that makes sense for you, right? Because if we don't, then um, the system is always going to be um, tilted in a direction of people who are actually taking advantage of the political system. Because it is, it's very important, very important. And Samoans, Pacific Islanders, you know, we have to get involved. In Samoa, it's very political. People are very involved, right? I'm surprised people are not that as involved here in uh, in the 50 states, you know. Uh, but back home, if you go, it's it's very, very, uh, it's very strong, actually, which is a beautiful thing to say. You were getting voted out, and I believe it wasn't just you, because it was on the article. I forgot what year that was. There was a few of you guys that was getting voted off the, the, the seat. Do you mind, uh, you know, sharing with us, the listeners, like, you know, because it is a political move, like, not only that you, you have a seat, but then all of a sudden now it's been taken away from you and stuff like that. Can you educate us? Like, what exactly does that mean when you're getting, a, you know, a vote to get voted off the seat? Yeah, so recall is when um, there's enough petition voters, there's enough petitions to be able to start um, getting someone off, recalling somebody from their elected seat, right? That's kind of like one of the only ways outside of a general election that you can remove somebody from their seat, right? And so you've seen it like tons of times. It's always, there's so many recalls happening in uh, California. You know, uh, I think Governor Davis, you know, was recalled. And when he got recalled, then you saw uh, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger get, get a, I think he was appointed or elected afterwards, right? So recalls is like, a, it's a strategy, right? And if, uh, if used well, you know, you can use it to your advantage to be able to, like, try to push your agenda. And ex that's exactly what happened here in San Francisco, you know. Um, there was a mixture of, like, you know, disgruntled, like, family members because of, like, the pandemic, right? And then there was also, like, you know, your opportunists who are continuously, like, in this game of politics trying to, like, you know, figure out angles on how to push their agenda, right? So, uh, unfortunately, you know, it just so happened the stars aligned for them you know, to where they were able to take advantage of, you know, I would say they took advantage of like, you know, um, the angst and the uh, the fears and just kind of like, you know, um, the vulnerability of families at, at times, you know, during coming out of the pandemic as well, you know. Um, but, um, but yeah, so myself and like two other board members were recalled during that election, you know, and um, it's a thing. The thing that happens, it's uh, and and the other part about it is, it's not like it's illegal, you know. It's something that you could actually do. the The only difference I think um, here in San Francisco, which makes it a little bit more difficult, um, which is if I think if this was actually in place, I probably would still be on the school board. Is in San Francisco, you don't have to like put up like different opponents of who this person is going to be uh, replaced by, you know? So like when the governor, uh, when Governor Newsom, because Governor Newsom was going through a recall during the same time, there was also a list of other people you could vote for, right? It's mm -hmm. like, all right. And 
you know, if you look at the list of people that you can vote for, people are like, well, I'm not voting for any of these people, you know. So we'd rather just stay with this guy, you know, Governor Newsom, right? Same as like for um so what so when we got recalled, actually not the same, uh, it was very different. So it just had three people up there, it didn't have anyone else like, okay, these are gonna be your replacements, right? And so finally, you know, when we got recalled and they actually, you know, selected the three that were gonna replace us, one of the people actually didn't even win her following election because she was making racist comments, right, on the school board. So she didn't even last more than a couple months. And the other two, you know, that well, they're still on there, but people would, you know, if the if you were to like put it up and like compare, who would I rather pick, either these three or these other three? You know, I think overwhelmingly uh, the city would have went with, uh, you know, myself, and I'm not sure how how they would have voted for the other two. You know, I would still be on the school board, right? But because you don't have that in place in San Francisco, it's easier to like, you know, really pin people against just themselves, you know, which I think it makes it a little difficult. So there's some changes to the uh to the to the system which I think needs to happen. But that's that's pretty much, you know, what recalls are. I mean and again for me it's like no harm, no harm, no harm done, you know, like it is what it is, you know. Um it's it's not illegal. It's something that people can do, you know, and people took advantage of it. And so and that's what happened, you know. Man, that's crazy. Sounds like to me that uh, that's. Uh, I know you mentioned earlier before the importance of voting. Uh, that has a lot to do with also us, uh, our community, getting involved into the voting. That probably would have had an impact. You know, so you think that would have had an impact to help out to keep you on, on the on the chair? I mean, on the seat, on the table. Oh, definitely. The the difficult thing about Pacific Islanders is um, when you talk about voting blocks, right? You're talking yeah. about blocks, you know, um, to enable in order for you to actually like move a vote. Right. You have to have a couple of things. Right. One, you have to have a large voting block if you can. Sometimes they call it your base. Right. And when it comes to Pacific Islanders, especially in San Francisco, you don't really have that. Right. Because you're you, you're your back is against the wall because you are um, your deficit is there's not there's not many of you in the city, you know, <laughs> Compared to like say your other constituents like your Asian community, your Black community, your White community, your Latin community, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So, elections is really about a numbers game, you know. But, you know, if you have a strong community like your Pacific Islander community, right, and they are able to lobby, they're able to advocate, you know, they're able to like project their voices in other ways that could move the vote, right? Um, that could be helpful too. And I think you know at this point, you know. Um, communities are starting to rebuild. I think we had a stronger voice um, back in the days, you know. I think there was a stronger presence, you know, and um, I think we're now starting to regain that momentum, you know, um, today, you know, but it still needs a whole lot of work, you know. It still needs a whole lot of work. But we're getting there, you know. How do you think of social media? You think social media with the whole... You know, because it wasn't that long ago that mainstream media, which is like Fox, CBS News, were like the anchor for information. And now, as you know, social media has been uh, this new rise of like a, uh, I want to say outlaw that com that's coming in and really turn voters' attention to whatever they want to, you know, they believe in. Somebody like a Joe Rogan, his word can move, uh, you know, move needles when it comes to voting. 
the panic because of the massive followers that he has. Say, so my point is, you think social media too will help, you know, in this case, in the future, in the city of San Francisco, when you're talking about Polynesians, yes, we don't have the numbers, but let's just say you have a Polynesian that has the numbers or a followers like a Joe Rogan or Taylor Swift, quote unquote. You think something like that would help? You know, just shining the spot, the, the light on the on the what really is going on with the political move, you know, in, in San Francisco, you think that would have helped out or still would have made it not? Yeah, you know, I think I think social media is important and I think it has like um, its place, but I still do think that it is limited. You know, mm-hmm. I think it can move. It can move a message. Right. Um, but does it turn out voters in a way that you need it for Pacific Islanders? You know, I, mm-hmm. I haven't seen the data on that, you know. Um, but there's a lot of examples how, like, you know, um, movements can be, you know, successful through social media. But really, the work um, that I feel like um, will move the needle is on the ground, right? Like, really, just like on the ground, building community. You know, um, getting together with people, talking to folks, right? Like the social media to me is not going to win uh, elections solely, right? What's going to win elections is, um, you know, people actually interacting with constituents because not everybody's on social media, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Social media is a very is a very isolated world, right? And not not everybody's on social media, right? So, um. You know, I think people need to just give back to the basics. You know, I appreciate my time back home in Mungua because it really just reminded me, or really just instilled into me, reminded, I guess, you know, injected, you know, this this sentiment of like, you know, we are all like uh, in community. Like, you know, like we just, I'm talking about Mungua, not Kukui, I'm talking about Mungua. You know, like literally you just walk next door, talking to people, building, you know, like when we were in the islands, I was telling people, it's like, really for me, when you're in Samoa, it's not about like the sightseeing and everything. That's cool, right? You could do that all in like one, two days. It really is about sitting down and just interacting with people, right? And just listening to people, hearing the stories, building community. That way I feel like, you know, that is probably the the best way, you know, to to get like things rolling, you know, and to rebuild and trust and to rebuild and, you know, confidence and like our ability to to work as a unit, you know. Um, but social media does definitely it has its place, but it's, it's definitely not going to win elections. You know, it can move a message, but also like there's so many like manipulations that happen in social media that it's really hard to like figure out like, you know, what is accurate and what is like inaccurate, right? Mm. It's, it could be very biased, right? It's not like a hundred percent of truth. So brothers like Joe Rogan, right, and like yourself, right, who are doing podcasts, mm-hmm. right, like. Social media is like snippets of things, right? Yeah. Like, but if people do their due diligence and actually listen to the whole podcast, listen to what Joe Rogan and like people like yourselves are saying, then I think that's a completely different story, you know? Then you could fundamentally probably get moved that way, right? But what's dangerous about social media these days is uh, folks are going off of sound bites, right? Which doesn't really have like a lot of teeth to it, right? And so I, to me, just morally, I just think like, you know, that's not right. You know, some people might disagree, but you know, it, it just feels like um, that's not really what the people need. But again, politics, you know, it's very, it's, it's a very tough field because really sometimes it, 
it comes down to like, um, you know, it, it's like a game. You know, people are just trying to win, like trying to win, trying to get into seats, right? And there's a no hose bar, and people are just out there going to do whatever they need to do to win the game, you know? And so if there's no rules and regulations in place to, if people are operating in the confines of those rules and regulations, then you could technically say it's a fair game, you know? But yeah, so to answer your question, I think it does, but to an extent, yeah. Do I think it's going to move the needle? Maybe, maybe not. Do I think it's going to get out voters? It hasn't really shown that it's going to, for Pacific Islanders, that it's going to turn out voters, you know? I think turning out voters for our folks are really going to be about building human interaction, you know, in person. Nice. That answers that. And then, uh, you know, to close out the questions of uh, education and politics, the last one is you mentioned, you know, folks, uh, you know, get involved, go into these uh, Democrat or political parties, join uh, in the city. Where where do you where do you find those kind of people? Because, you know, I'm just thinking out loud as a coconut head. I'm like, yeah, I would. Uh, depending on where you're at, you know, and I'm talking about the 50 states right? mm -hmm. 50 states. Yeah. in the 50 states. I think, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is any everybody could just Google your Democratic Party or your Republican Party or whatever mm -hmm. party it is. You can just Google it. Like if you're in San Francisco, you can Google San Francisco Democratic Party, right? And it'll bring you up their website. Once the website, once you get into the website, you know, they'll have like things in there like, you know, um, events, you know, they'll have uh, uh, meeting, 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 um, past meeting um, recordings where you can like follow meetings and pay attention, right? They'll have information on how to get involved, right? That's the easiest place to like start, right? And so Kentucky, so there's your, uh, so for us, there's the San Francisco Democratic Party and then there's also your state party, right? So there's city and then there's state, right? You could also type in your state party, Kentucky Democratic State Party, right? And see what pops up from there. And then once you get into um, those uh, forums or those platforms, then you could just play around, you know, and figure out like, you know, if they have any like events that you would like to join and get curious about. The other thing is, is like when a when election season comes around, right? Everyone's going to be getting mail. You're going to be seeing people on the corners, you know, probably like campaigning and stuff, you know. And people are also going to be recruiting. You know, you can go onto their websites, you can Google their websites, see where they are, see if you like the platform. And you can send an email because they'll all, they'll all be recruiting volunteers and say, hey, can I just volunteer for your campaign? And then, you know, they'll invite you and you'll go and do some uh, volunteering for them. And then you'll you'll also be able to learn about, you know, um, you know the process. Um, in San Francisco, there's also clubs, you know, democratic clubs, um, all different type of clubs. We, we also established the first Pacific Islander Democratic Club here in San Francisco. So now there's a Pacific Islander Democratic Club, you know, that's uh, headed up by my good friend Gaynor, Gaynor Sietanga. You know, and so there's also like the Filipino Democratic Club. There's also like, you know, the LGBT Democratic Clubs, right? There's all different type of Democratic Clubs. Or, you know, again, I say Democratic because um, I'm, I'm a Democrat, right? But there's uh, various uh, political affiliations who might be paying attention or tuning into this, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can just Google, you can just Google, very easy Google, right? Or, you know, when the election season comes around and, you know, you read the pamphlets and stuff like that, you can just easily do your research. And appreciate that. Uh, very informative when it came to political movements or just understanding a little bit about it. Uh, my next question, you're a therapist. Exactly what that title entails of 
you pretty much have a you have a practice, right? Can you share with the viewers, you know, what that's all about and how, you know, how that came about and pretty much the whole nine yards. Yeah, man. So I've always wanted to be a therapist. That's kind of like been my goal. You know, um, when I was in when I was in school, you know, I ended up, uh, you know, again, like when we talk about Hunter's Point, going all the way back to all that stuff, right? Hey, nobody coming out of Hunter's Point clean, untainted, you know. He coming out of Hunter's Point with some a couple of bruises, right? And to me, bruises are like trauma. Right. You're gonna come out with something, right? You either seen like a shooting, you either probably experienced like some domestic violence, you either like went through extreme poverty or something like that, right? So when I got to college, you know, when things are really just cool and peaceful, you know, uh, all the trauma started coming back up. And then I ended up uh going to my first therapy session, right? When I got into that therapy session, I was like, I wanna be a therapist, you know. Like I absolutely fell in love with it, right? And um I just started just like turning the wheels on that, putting the putting put putting motion in place, right? Just kind of get getting things moving. And I slowly but surely was just trying to figure out how to do it. And that's why when I went back to school to go get my master's, um, a buddy of mine was like, yeah, you should go become a social worker because with social worker, you could still be a therapist and you could work like in many other different places versus going and getting like an MFT degree, which is a marriage family therapist degree. But that's what I did, went to school. You know, that's that's when um, I learned about social work, you know, but really I was just trying to become a therapist. Right. That's where I learned about politics, learned about policies, you know. And um, when I got out of grad school, I got my you know, my degree, because in order for you to be a therapist, you have to have either a LCSW, a MFT, a PsyD or an MD Those are the, or, or a PhD. Those are the only five degrees that allows you to become a therapist. Right. So I took the uh, MSW route. Right. So I got my MSW. And then from there, you got to get 3000 clinical hours and then you have to be able to test. And once you pass your test, then they grant you with the uh, LCSW license, which is a licensed clinical social worker. So I was able to complete all of those, you know, after grad school. And once I got off the school board, I was done with all 3000 of my hours because I was on the school board and I was also like, you know, still working in the community doing crisis work. So by the time I was done, I was able to accumulate 3000 hours. I tested a couple of months after the school board and I passed my test, you know, and so I passed my test. I got licensed as a clinical social worker. And then what I did was for the first uh, kind of like two years, I sat under, I went and I joined this um, group practice down in uh, Campbell called Campbell, Campbell Teen and Family Therapy, right? Uh, great place, right? And they specialize in eating disorders, right? And so... I sat under them for like two years. I got some training, learned how to, um, you know, work with eating disorders. And then after that, I went on my own, right? And so I've been doing my own solo practice since uh, April 2023, right? April 2023. It's not been a year yet. You know, it's um, practice has been, it's been really, you know, by the grace of God, have been super successful. You know, uh, we've already hit six figures in, um, in, uh, in, in income, you know, in our, um, profits, you know, and, and it's just continuing to grow, you know. So I have two offices currently. I have an office in Burlingame, California, and also in San Francisco, California. I do family therapy in homes. So I go to people's homes if they need me to, right? Or they can come to the office and we do virtual, right? So I do in homes, virtuals, and in office. And I also see couples and individuals. And really my work is around trauma. I provide um, clients with uh, work around trauma, or, or is it, 
whether it's family trauma, individual trauma, you know, couples trauma, um, I provide them with that service. And so I'm trained in uh, EMDR, which is eye move, movement, eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing, right? And then also um, parts work, which is internal family systems, right? These are all like uh, different modalities to treat trauma. And then I'm also trained in mindfulness uh, meditation. Uh, but yeah, so we're going on, um, I think, nine months now, maybe nine. Yeah, my nine months now, super proud, super happy. You know, the uh, growth of the, uh, the practice, right? We're doing pretty good. And I say we, because again, it's not just me, it's just me and, me and all the people who are supporting the movement, you know? Um, but yeah, so therapy is great. So my thing is, um, that's the other thing for our folks. Folks need to get their mental health going. You know, a lot of our uh, community is experiencing high mental health, you know, which you'll see a lot of like substance abuse. You know, you'll see a lot of like, you know, depression, uh, eating disorders, uh, anger, you know, um, and just all sorts of stuff within our community, right? So uh, highly recommend that people, um, you know, get involved in uh, taking care of their mental health. And now uh, this is, is this only practices that it only covers, uh, you know, the, the, what is it, the area of San Francisco, you know, your practice, or the, are you able to do outpatients like somebody like Pony Moore from Kentucky to uh, be a, you know, if I'm seeking counsel or therapy? Well, so the license, got it. So the license only covers California. Mm -hmm. So at this moment, I can only practice in California, but I can only see patients in California, right? Okay, the whole state of California, North and okay. South. Mm -hmm. So I have clients looking nice. down California. I got clients in LA. I got clients in Sacramento, San Francisco, everywhere, right? Mm. Um, but if you want to practice, if you want to see clients in a different state, then you have to pass the licensing uh, exam in that state. So like gotcha. Kentucky, Washington, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Are you planning to expand your uh, practice, or you just focus on just California at the moment? Uh, right now, uh, I do have my eyes set on Hawaii. You know, and uh, being able to to get into Hawaii because Hawaii actually, I think, is the gateway to American Samoa. So, mm -hmm. and the cool thing about Hawaii is it really is just a matter of an application, right? From my understanding, right? So, um, nice. I hope to get done by the end of the year. Yeah. What are some of the challenges when you first started this, and you know, how did you go about that? How did you find your building, and then able to do uh, virtual? What are the challenges that you're facing? You know what I'm saying? As Somebody looking to become a, you know, what you are right now. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I I feel like you know, even till today, there's still challenges just being like a startup company, you know, mm -hmm. and just like learning the ropes. I think it makes it even a little bit more challenging when you're a uh, someone. Um, I don't know of any other uh, someone therapists um, in the Bay Area. I'm just thinking. Yeah, I don't know of any other Samoan therapist who has a private practice or practicing in the Bay Area because the clinical work on my end is one thing, but now you're an entrepreneur, right? And so there's the clinical. On top of that, there's a the business, right? And so the business piece is the piece that, like, you got to kind of keep up with, you know, the building, you know, um, locating office spaces. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, uh, the startup is always difficult, you know, um, I think the other thing about like being a therapist is the legalities that come with it, right? Like me, I'm a huge stickler around the law and being like, you know, following regulations and being um, being on top of those things, right? And so um, 
you know, understanding like areas of like, you know, where you could potentially like be sued, you know? And so I definitely have a lawyer, you know, I got a lawyer who like I lean on, you know, I make sure, um, you know, I have a, you know, all my insurance is in place, general liability insurance, you know, um, to make sure that you're covered because like when you have a business, if you get sued, you know, that potentially could just be your, you know, they could sue you for everything you have. Right. And so you have to like kind of carry that. And so, uh, um, that sometimes could be like, you know, uh, a monkey on your back, you know, until you kind of get it down. And, and a lot of this stuff, the challenges is because you just don't know. Right. Yeah. And so the work is actually going out there and trying to figure it out, you know? And so, um, as I like, you know, get, get more information and meet more people, you know, with, with the office, I mean, again, it was really a matter of just like here saying people like, Oh yeah, they have an office down there. You should go check it out. You know? And then, uh, you know, a buddy of mine's in Burlingame. She's like, yeah, I got an office. We should partner up. You know, that's pretty much what it was, you know, nothing special about it. Right. But then, um, all those informal kind of like meetings led to like, now you got an office in San Francisco and in, in Burlingame. Right. But it's always a challenge. And then just kind of keeping up with the schedule. You know, keeping up with the schedule, um, you know, the paperwork stuff, the administrative stuff that comes with running a business, you know, the taxes, right? It's tax season coming up, so you got to get all that stuff down, right? Um, but I, I tell myself, just expect all that to be like that for like the next three years, right? So like for me, three years of just like learning and building is what I'm doing right now, you know? And, and then the last thing I, I feel like, you know, as a, as a startup is... Um, you know, when you're running your own company, you, you have to go out there and like, you know, promote and do marketing, mm -hmm. right? So attract more customers, right? Like I have a hundred percent confidence in my work, but you know, how are the people going to know that you could do the work and how are you going to convince them that, you know, you are the person, right? Especially if nobody knows you out there, right? Exactly. So, so the marketing piece was a huge, you know, so that was like one thing. And luckily I was on the school board and I was in politics. So I kind of like, Got all of the, uh, you know, because when you're in politics, you're just out there. Right? You, Networking, you, gotta, you know a lot of people. You know a lot of people, but you have to put yourself out there. So I got used to just kind of putting myself out there, you know. So that kind of helped. And um, now the practice is rolling. You know, it's 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 not perfect, you know, but it's I feel like it's headed in a good direction. You know, got good support. You know, we got our offices and stuff down packed. You know, we got our systems rolling. We got our building down. And I feel good about 2024. You know, now we're just going to try to continue to work on our goals, you know, and um, and see where it goes from there, you know. And what is the name of the practice and uh, where, you know, people that are tuning in, where can they find you, especially the ones that are in California? Yeah, the practice is, uh, it's my name, Faunga Molina Fulitasi Youth and Family Therapy. Uh, if you're in search, if you're looking for it, you know, if you're in California, you could just Google my name, Faunga Molina Pulitasi Therapy. I would put therapy at the end because if you put it in my name, you probably get a whole bunch of other articles from when I was on the school board. You know, but if you just put in like Faunga Molina Pulitasi Therapy, my website will pop up and, you know, you just click on the website, you know, and you find all the information you need in terms of the services I offer, how to get an appointment, rates, um, insurance, and, and all the other things that you need. How to contact me. And what about uh do you have any like IG or Facebook? Do you, or do you just, you know, your website is where you deal with, you know, you deal with your customers? Yeah, I'm also actually um you can find me on Psychology Today as well. Psychology Today is a portal for a therapist and for people who are searching therapists. You can go on Psychology Today. Um I'm not on Instagram, I'm not on Facebook, you know, um not really a social media person. 
Um, but if you're looking for me, those are those are the ways you can go. And uh, yeah, what's my website? My website is pretty long. I think it's Faunga Molinga Ulatasi Youth and Family. Go to Google, put in the name. Put the... <laughs> All right, this we'll post it right here too on the uh, I'm actually on the working on. A, I'm 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 currently in the process of potentially like changing changing the company name to something shorter. You you mentioned the P three the Pacific Three Strategies that was part of the educational and the politics side, right? One yeah, of the programs. Yeah, I, I just so I do consulting still. You know, I work with uh, elected officials, uh, business partners, private corporations, and uh, city governments or government agencies on like building partnerships. Right. Okay. Can you emphasize a little bit more about your business on that one? Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, if, so currently, like, I'm doing work with, um, you know, school districts and uh, private companies who are looking to, like, build a partnership. Right. And so my focus at this moment is really around, like, mental health and clean energy. Right. And so, like, I help, like, you know, um, companies who are looking to partner with uh, the government you know, or like school districts around like trying to, um, you know, build up their uh, clean energy, uh, you know, programs and services within the, you know, their, um, within their systems, right? Uh, also, like I work with, uh, you know, other companies around mental health, you know, uh, helping folks, you know, understand, you know, how to like build curriculum or going through their curriculums. Um, and then just coaching, right? Like I do, I do uh, leadership coaching. So people who are interested. So I have like associate superintendents. I like work with superintendents. I work with like you know uh, CEOs and uh, you know other uh, directors and stuff like that. People who are just trying to polish up on like you know their leadership skills in those areas. Nice. Now again, is this just? I'm going to assume that this is only for the state or the city of San Francisco. It has not, you know, you for the moment. No, so my, so that consultant is it's actually worldwide. Okay. So I do consulting, you know, um, global wise. So like, you know, uh, I was just in American Samoa, you know, doing some work, right? Going back to American Samoa next month to continue to do some more work, you know, around consulting. Um, do some consulting around on the East Coast, you know, all up and down the state of California, you know. And so the consultant is actually uh, it's more uh, it's global versus the uh, practice which you're licensed to do in in one state. Wow, that's amazing. And where can do you have a website for this particular business? I actually don't have a website yet for uh for the P3 uh strategies. What about the uh, social media? Yeah, again, I'm I'm not I'm not a social media guy. I know a lot of folks out there on social media. No, that's fine, but how are you able to, you know, so you're just you're going through uh networking, right? Within the so it's by word of mouth for the time being. That's right. So a lot nice. of my consulting services, people come seek me out, you know. It's uh business opportunities and network opportunities that, you know, like, uh, that I like, you know, build on my own, you know, through uh, events and stuff like that and partnerships and relationships. You know. Okay. So sometimes people do invite you and that falls under like uh, uh, public speaking. Yeah. So um, I do public speaking. That would fall under my consulting. That, that, uh, that follows know. under the P3 strategies. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah. So it's not only that you're a therapist, you're also like a, a public speaker, a motivational speaker, you know? That's right. Have you ever down the road thought about a? Oh, go ahead. What were you gonna say? I'm sorry. I I do conferences. I do like uh, retreats. So I did my uh, I did a retreat. I did my first actual retreat for college for Palo Alto University, 
I did a retreat for their whole uh, administrative staff, you know, a full day retreat, you know, they asked me, like, these are the leadership skills that we want to work on. These are the goals that we want for our, our team. I put together a curriculum and I run through the curriculum, you know. Nice. And is it just you or I'm assuming you have partners that are doing it together because you say this is a global uh, business? That's right. So I have partners, right? The business is mine. So if I need to pull in partners, right, I'll pull in partners. I'll invite people to partner on a project. Mm. Yeah. But there's a network. There's a network of you guys. Is that is that where the your affiliation with uh, or being a member of the Mason comes into play? Does that you know, one of that? Oh, no, that's completely different. Yeah, Freemasonry is a fraternity. It's the mm -hmm. longest standing fraternity in the history of this world. You know, it goes way back uh, to King Solomon's days, you know. Um, and it's a fraternity that I got into really because of my father-in-law. You know, he's been a Mason for like 33 years now. Mm -hmm. And a really good guy. You know, he's, he was asking me you know, if I wanted to join, you know. And I just kind of liked how he moved. And I was like, all right, this is a cool dude, right? And so um, I just completed my third degree, um, I think it was in November, which grants you to be a master mason. And so, um, yeah, I'm a Freemason. You know, um, they said George Bush was, not George Bush, sorry. Bill Clinton was a Freemason, right? Uh, Jay-Z is a Freemason, you know. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of our presidents uh, were Freemasons. You know, a lot of the country was built on on Freemasonry. King Kalakaua was a Freemason, you know. Um, the Iolani Palace was uh, built by Freemasons, you know. So, yeah, that's completely different. That's more of a brotherhood and a fraternity. A fraternity, okay. And what what is the benefit of being part of the uh, Masons, that, and what has it done since you've been a part of them or members of them that was was able to impact and help the community? Because I'm assuming Mason has a lot to do with the community too, and and also just to uh, yeah, really. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, the thing I, I enjoy about being a Freemason is uh, the principles and like the things that we practice in, in regards to like becoming better people. You know, um, I really enjoy that. Right? There's uh, there's lessons and uh, teachings that like uh, all the Freemasons have to like uh, go through and learn, which to me like uh, you know really uh, it helps like with uh, things around like building character. You know, like it, and, you know we align in things of like integrity, honesty, and transparency. And supporting each other in whatever way we can, and I, I, I like the uh, the brotherhood about it and how we support each other. I also like the mission, you know, or the community work. They go out, they help out in areas of education, you know, they help out in areas of like, uh, you know, we do food banks. We'll go to food banks and like we give out scholarships for our students who are going to school, you know. So it's a lot of good um, community work out of the Freemasonry as well. But for me, it's about uh, the brotherhood. The lessons that you learn, you know, being a Freemasonry, you know, how they keep you grounded, and then also the community service that it does. Are there any other Polynesians besides Samoans uh, in this, uh, you know, brotherhood, the Mason? Yeah, I imagine there are. You know, there's a lodge that was in um, American Samoa. You know, it's now, it's not active anymore, you know. But I imagine there's probably more uh, Samoans and Pacific Islander Freemasons out there. I, there's a a few lodges in, in Hawaii, you know, it's a few lodges in Hawaii, and I'm pretty sure there's more Pacific Islanders in those lodges, you know. Um, but if people are interested in becoming a Freemason, you know, you just want to, like, uh, find your local lodges in your area, see if there's any local lodges in your area, and then just 
attend meetings and just start asking questions and getting curious, you know, and the brothers in those uh, lodges will help guide you through the uh, the process. I'm assuming there is a certain uh, resume that you have to have with you, you know, like an app, an athlete that you, you're supposed to have, you know, qualifications to become no. a member or somebody that, let's just say, that don't even have any kind of a stay-home mom or a, a, a couch warrior. Can they become a, a, a mason? Yeah, there's no there's no requirements. There is a there is a process, there's an application process that you have to go through, right? But there are no requirements to 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 apply to become a, a Freemason. Gotcha. Wow, that's interesting. How long have you been a part of this uh, Mason? About three years. About three years. You know, you hear when they, when you hear the word Mason, you also hear the Illuminati uh, tends to uh, go right next to it. What's your take on that? Have you witnessed anything like that? The Illuminati. Or you guys are all like dressed up because you said this this is back then the mason do you guys have to wear robes and stuff and you guys are like in a temple where you guys are kind of like king author in a round table kind of like thing i don't know i'm just asking you i'm curious yeah yeah there's all kind of like uh conspiracies out there yeah about, you know there's a conspiracies on it about most things you know and it's like i think i've heard of that woman out one before you know and, mm -hmm. you know i feel like you know people are gonna we're gonna make assumptions of anything, you know. But from my experience, it's been it's been a clean it's been a pretty good brotherhood. You know, there's a formal attire, you know, that uh that uh folks uh you know wear at times, you know, when we're attending meetings. It's a pretty formal event. It always kind of reminds me of the Fasa Amor sometimes, you know, it's Fasa Amor, they call it Mamadu, right? It's mm -hmm. very, very clean, very respectful, very um, very traditional, you know. And so um yeah, that's been my experience so far, being a part of the Brotherhood. Mm. And the, I'm assuming you guys have your guys own, like, secrecy stuff that, you know, that the outside world, unless you're a member, you'll know about, you know, or plans like that. Yeah. yeah like like most organizations, right? Yeah, things it's just like any being a part of a club. Uh, the oh, benefits, sure. what are some of the benefits that, you know, be you being a part of it? You know, sometimes if you're a member... You can go, like you said, there's there's a, a few of them in Hawaii. So you can, but is it like a, I think a lot of the Mason places are like just halls, right? Bars, or I know some some one churches, at least from ones I've been to, or was used to go to, was uh, using the Mason halls, you know? And some of them were like the retired uh, buildings to uh, do ministry, you know, use it as a, as a place of worship. Uh, it was a lot affordable for, you know, our community of, of Polynesians. So, uh, you know, is that the kind of, you know, Mason that I'm assuming that you're in, you know, the one that had those buildings, a lot of the real estate I'm seeing? That's correct. Yeah, Freemason, again, like Freemasonry, uh, part of the history of it was, you know, your masonries, you know, people mm -hmm. who were construction workers, builders, right? And so um, you'll see a lot of the uh, buildings today, especially if you go to Washington, D.C., right? You'll see like the, the Mason emblem on like the buildings, right? And so, um, so yeah, so yeah, I mean, the benefits to me, again, like uh, what I've enjoyed is, uh, you know, the brotherhood, you know, and then also, you know, once you are a master mason, you know, you can actually go to any lodge in the whole world, you know, and um, mm. you know, once you're a brother, you're a brother everywhere, you know, like I was somewhere and somebody saw me, somewhere in South San Francisco, somebody saw me and I had my uh, mason uh, pin on and they mm. walked up to me and was like, hey, I'm brother so-and-so from 
Mason Lodge, you know, so-and-so, you know, just wanted to greet you. That was cool, you know? It's like, okay. And it's, if, if you're, like, in a different country and you're stranded or if you need any help or anything or, if, you know, you can always call up a Mason brother, you know, and they're, where we always show up for each other and help each other out. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a version of, uh, you guys are, so the Mason, in other words, is almost like a, a more formal way of, uh, you know, how you have bike, bike, the bike clubs, the car clubs, every, you know, every, depending what you're into versus Mason is more of like a lot of people that in, into politics, uh, into, uh, I wouldn't say power of, well, yeah, let's just be honest. It's a power and taking leadership in in the whatever land or country you're in. You know what I'm saying? The interest of a Mason club is more is in that kind of uh, scope, if that makes any sense. Am I correct? Yeah, let me say this. We're not into politics. Masons is not about politics, right? Mm -hmm. Although there's been a lot of politicians who have become Freemasons, the Freemasons is about God, your God, your family, and service. Those are the pillars of Freemasonry. Mm. God your family and your service, but always making sure that you prioritize your, uh, your family. And that's nice. Okay. And uh, for those that do want to join, they, I'm assuming they just Google it. You, you guys are all over the place because Mason is known, right? Yeah. You can find your local lodge. You go in there and, you know, mm -hmm. talk to a brother. You know, they'll let you know when um, they're having events and you just start showing up to events and then letting people know you're interested. And then from there, they'll, provide you with more information on how the process works. It's a little bit interesting when it comes to uh, a chief from Mangua. Can you go ahead and share with our listeners? Because especially for my non-Samoan or Polynesians, Samoa is just like the Philippines and Tonga. It has its own, uh, and Hawaii. There are different islands, right? Even though we're called Samoa. Believe it or not, there is an American Samoa and there is Samoa, which back then used to be called Western Samoa that falls under Upolu and uh, Savai. Well, for uh, Fotoli'i here, he, he is a descendant from uh, the American Samoa district or island. And there are one of the islands out there is uh, Manua that are split, split into like, I believe, four, four islands or five. I could be wrong. Anyways, you fall under the Falao Sao village or one of the Falakolus out there. Can you go ahead and break that or just share with the viewers a quick uh, ceremonial? It's 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 a different kind. I don't know now that it might, if it's the same as uh, Upolu, you know, how they or Kukuila, how they uh, present or have a Makai be uh, announced in, in their family, you know, because uh, we're so used to, at least for me growing up, used to being around our older folks and they'll be like after a gathering, it could be Thanksgiving, it could be anything, a holiday. And then the older ones will be like blessing one of our guys to be the next chief within the state. Now in America, you can do that. But when it comes to having like, you know, like an official title and and uh, have a say so in like, we're going back to politics, you know, you just came back from Mangua because you just went to the ceremony where you have now been officially bestowed the, you know, the title name of Fotuali. First of all, I want to say congratulations. Uh, I'm very proud of you for doing what you did. You know, wish I was there. And then, uh, yeah, man, the, the table's yours. Well, really, it's, it's funny because, like, um, you know, we went on this trip and I would ask Nancy Poco a question. And it'll take her 45 minutes to explain the answer, right? And as you're asking me this question, I'm noticing like I'm doing the same thing she's doing, right? Like she just starts from the beginning and she's like, well, 
in order for me to answer this question, I have to like tell you what happened. Like this is what's this is this was my experience and this is the context, right? So that's kind of like how I'm gonna roll this out if you don't mind me. So that's fine. You know, when my grandfather died, my father, my uncle, and my other uncle, they asked me to become a chief on my dad's side, my grandfather's side, right? Never, you know, they pulled me over. They were like, hey, sat me down. This is like, right, like in the middle of the funeral. With all due respect, I need to have a conversation with my mother because this is the side I kind of grew up on. So I did that, got on the phone. She didn't really sound like she wanted me to do it. She said it in her own indirect way. And I kind of just took that as a, like, all right, my mom, she doesn't really want me to do it. Share that with those guys. You know, part of me also was like, man, it was like the way, like, my dad was trying to get me to do it. He was like, oh, you know, you just be a guy here, you know, like, it wasn't really, it didn't sound like it was, uh, it had it had too much integrity around it. And for me, that was important. You know, like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to need to do it, right? It was more like, oh, just do it because, you know, you can uh, get some of this land or you could, like, you know, do this and that, you know, like I wasn't really into all that, right? I was into doing it the right way. So that, in addition to like my mom not really being a part of it, I like put that to the side, right? It's like, all right, let's put that to the side. So then my mom was like, all right, well, Uncle wants you guys to be Makai's on this side of the family. And I was like, all right. You know, we went up there to Seattle to see him. He was sick. He was like, let's wait until when those guys are here, we can have a conversation. So I was like, all right. And it was just taking a while. One year passed, you know, another year passed, right? And, um, Uncle passed away on grandma's side, right? So now we're talking about grandma's side. And one of the uncles came up to me and was like, man, you know, go away, Makai, I ain't gonna live because it ain't Makai go away. There's like, there's no Makais on this side, right? Like, there hasn't been a Makai on this side. And, you know, we need a Makai for you guys on this side. You know, one of the things that, like, I think it's important for me to say is like, me, I'm, I'm kind of like, I go to where I feel like I'm needed. If I need to be here, like, no, we need you to be here. And that's where I'm going to go, even if it's not, like, the most popular thing to do, right? I'm going to go to where, like, I'm actually needed to, like, serve at that time, you know? And so for me, I felt that. I was like, I feel like I need to be here with these guys right now, all right? Mind you, I haven't been around the family all that much on this side, right? So then I go to one of the, uh, to the Fala Blavi, one of the last and I met the family. It's like, oh, these people are cool, man. They're really nice. You might like I share with you, like, you know, kind of remind me of my cousin Kenny, you know, like really jolly people, really cool people, right? And so, I, you know, I did my thing, went to praying, you know, then I talked to my mom about it and her and Auntie guys all kind of seemed very kind of like, right? they were like, oh, they were surprised, but also very supportive of the whole thing. And that, and then that kind of opened up a whole can of like direction towards, you know, their grandfather, I guess it was something that like, you know, was kind of closed off. But then, you know, when I came in and we started having this conversation, it reopened that whole thing for them. And you could just see it in their faces like, oh, my gosh, really? It was like, OK, you know, that's and then they had all these stories about that side. Right. And so, like, in my heart, I was like, OK, this seems like the right thing to do. Mind you, here's a family out here, our family. They're already organized. Oh, actually. Back in the days when my mom and Antonio used to live in San Francisco, if I may, Alaco, you know, they do their stuff together, right? But like my mom said, like right now we're replanting the seeds, you know, because once they left, you know, it kind of broke off. So all that to say, I called Uncle back. I was like, all right. Now I talked to my mom and them, and everybody said it's okay. And those guys called call, and they're like, all right, let's do it. But they wanted me to go under the name Pumangabao, which is our great grandfather. Funeral ends. We're all sitting down, all the family. So Pula is there, the Sao, the family's here, which is why they was like, you should do it now while the Sao's here. 
right. And then Auntie gets up. She introduces me to the family. She wants them to take me on. But that's Kumang Bao. And um, they're like, well, you know, we would, but that's a very challenging title at the moment, right? Like, it'll be, it's, it's I guess, it's Wafa. You know, there's a lot to it, right? So so they granted me with, with the title um, Foto Ali instead. So then I became Foto Ali, but from my understanding, yeah, you know, your title is not really, Mamalu is not really official until you go into the village, one, and then it's not really, really official until you buy Faleula, two, right? So when I got the title, it really is if I met Kung Lao Inga, you know, that's what I, from my understanding, you just do things within the family, you know? And so I was, you know, that's kind of where I was at. You know, I've always wanted to go back home to go, you know, for me, I always want to do things the right way. You know, and do things the way that like our ancestors did it, right? And so, um, you know, one day we got a call from the Sao, and he was like, "You know, the Paifalula is coming up. You know, you guys should come to it. You guys should all show up." I was like, "All right." You know, when is it? It's in a couple of months. That didn't happen, and they pushed it back, and then finally we figured out the the final date. But luckily, you know. What I've been doing since I found out was I just been slowly just planning, you know, I've just been planning, been planning, planning, saving up, putting money to the side, you know, because it's a big trip, right? It was gonna, I knew it was going to cost a lot, you know, and so all that said and done, fast forward, the Pai Faleula happened on um, December thirtieth. Uh, we ulued into the village um, December twenty ninth. Right. We got to American Samoa December 28th. Um, I took my wife, my mother, and I took Antipolis, right? I knew Antipolis was going to be important because um, I knew she understood the whole, she understood the, the family, right? So she was important to take. My mother, I wanted to take her because she was my mother, and I was like, you know, that's where she's from, and that's just important to me. And then my wife, I always take my wife everywhere I go. Any, any big moment, I always want my wife right next to me. I wanted to take the kids, but it was a little bit too expensive. In regards to the Matai stuff, like, again, like, I didn't grow up in Mungua. I was never on Mala. So I'm not really familiar with all the traditions and the things that go into it. But I'm always the kind of person who's like, well, I'm not going to let that stop what God is telling me to do. I'm just going to go in there and learn it and figure it out as we go. So here we go, right? So I say that because... I'm learning all this, you know, on the loop stuff as we kind of like move along, right? And so I'm going to share based off of like the information that I've gathered so far in regards to like how the Matai system works. Um, but there are other like people in our family for sure. Like we have brothers like uh, was like who actually are Almangad in Mongolia. And, you know, being an Almangad is very important because Almangad actually are around all of the, uh, the ceremonial stuff. They're there. They're actually co-going to the family. So they actually understand a lot of this stuff. They could probably break down this stuff in a way that I probably, um, in a different way from what I can offer today. I'm a high chief. It's a, it's a Kamali name. And so Kamali is a high chief. And so really Kamalis, you have like a Kula Fale. A Kula Fale is really people who speak for you. Kamali are really like decision makers and they help like move in the direction of the family decisions when it's happening. Kula Fale is really, they speak for the family, you know, during family functions. If there's no Kula Fale, 
my title, it plays as a Kamali and a Kulafale. There's a name to it. I think it's called Koko Ali. I think it's called Koko Ali or Ali Koko, something like that, right? So I, I wear two hats. So there's no Kulafale, I have to step in. So there's a funeral that we're working on, you know, in our family currently where we don't have a Kulafale and the Sao's coming. So I'm going to be stepping in as the Kulafale and speaking for that, you know. So that's kind of just like our, the logistical stuff. But then what I learned, which I thought was pretty cool, was like, you know, so when we first get to uh, Mongolia, the ceremony in itself was like, I think there was only like three other things in my life that I thought really matched that 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 energy. Like uh, the birth of my firstborn, my wedding, the uh, graduation from high school, and then this, this, this ceremony right here. These are like really, 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 really impactful. And people told me later that the place that actually I would go that's where actually Grandma Faye and Grandpa Kumangao actually got married. Just mind-blowing all the way around, super mind-blowing. But, you know, you go in there and you sit in a, in a, in a section. They call it a bow section, you know. And so the section that I sat, sat in is Makakao. So my group is Makakao, right? And there's other little sections. This is Falasao. There's Ali'i Olingafa. And then there's a section where uh, Asawai sits. Asawai is like the highest chief of Asawai. And then there's one more section. Okay. So without getting through all the logistics, the cool thing that I learned was once you you are now officially a chief. You know, you are recognized by the village. You can sit in on village meetings. Anything that pertains to like things that come out of the village, you know, you have a say in how that operates, right? Which I thought was pretty cool. It almost reminded me of politics, right? The other thing that I thought was really cool and I learned a little later was once you become a chief, you you are then you can actually get appointed to become part of the Senate out there in American Samoa, you know. But I think you have to be like a Tamali though. Right? Which I, I didn't even know. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, so one of our uh, good friends, he is now like, you know, in the Senate. He's a, one of the senators from Malua. Right. And uh, I had a conversation with him and he was the one explaining it to me. He's like, yeah, once you're a chief, uh, Tamali, you could be appointed by the ch other chiefs to be the senator of the island, which I thought was super cool. Right. You know, me being interested in politics. Um, and then also, like, you know, as a chief, you get to, like, decide who gets appointed, you know, and who gets to go represent Monua in, in the forum, which I also thought was really, really cool. Right. The the Paifaliula then, that that right there was like... Uh, so this meeting really doesn't doesn't happen that often, you know, which is another reason why, like, when I heard about it, I was like, all right. They said, yeah, these meetings don't happen. I remember Uncle Sepulis saying, yeah, he didn't touch Paifaleula for 10 years. He said it took 10 years for the meeting. I was like, back in my head, I was like, that's going to be way too long. Plus, I was trying to get my mom there while she was still healthy and has a lot of energy, you know. So I was like, all right, we got to go, right? It's, it's going to cost what it costs, but we're going to go, right? And so Paifaleula from what I was told during our meeting was, it's the meeting that Tui Manua himself ordained chiefs back in the days. It's the official ordainment of chiefs. So if you were, if you wanted to become a chief, you had to go through the Pai Faleula, which was ordained, which was uh, Tui Manua's uh, ceremonial ordainment of, of Matthias, right? It's the same tradition that, that we've carried on from what Tui Manua is doing today to officialize, memorialize chiefs. Right. So you can go into the village, but then you'll only be recognized in your own village. You won't be recognized in like the whole entire like Falikolu anywhere else. Right. 
But once you fight for the ULA, your Matai title is now officially memorialized and legit anywhere you go. And Falkolu, Kukuila Mula, Kukolu, anywhere you go. So now that you fight Faleula, all the ceremonies that occur, you know, all the ceremonies that occur, you are now able to like speak on behalf of like your family, you know, Kalisuas, do all that stuff, you know, funerals, birthdays, weddings, everything, um, stuff in the village and everything. If you don't fight Faleula, technically you're not supposed to be doing any of that stuff. So I thought it was really cool. And for me, the important piece around that, so so again, remember like I was talking about with my company, the important thing to me was the stuff around the legalities, right? Like making sure that we're legally in the right place. And for me, this is the same thing, right? Like I want to make sure that like everything is legit before I go out here and like really start to become a chief. I don't want to break no laws. I don't want to hear nothing. I don't want to like, you know, go through any red tape or anything like that. Like I want to know that I finished all the requirements that is needed to do the job. And so now I feel like, you know, I've been able to like complete that in, put it to rest. And now I feel like I can move forward and like continue like to do the work, you know, in a way we're now like, you know, representing our family, you know, it's, it's like, okay, well, you know, like, you know, and so, yeah, when, when we're up there representing, you know, we're representing like the whole entire family. Um, and so that makes me kind of proud when I was in the Pai Faleula, which was actually really, really, again, super, super dope. Right? I was a little sad because I was looking around and I was like, man, where are all our grandparents' uh, seats? Right? Like, we're, we're not here, which to me, I was like, OK, we have to like we have to like get in a place so that we can like continue the legacy. Until you do those kind of things, you know, in our culture, you know, you really it's, it's really not recognized, you know. Your family's not recognized, right? Your family's not recognized. You're not recognized, your family's not recognized. That's really what it is. Your, your family's not recognized, you know. So that was like one of the things, you know. Now that we got it done, we can say that we fight for Leula and we can continue on with like the work that needs to be done for our family, you know. And there's a, probably a bunch of other stuff that goes into being Makai, you know, that comes with it that I'm still kind of learning as we go. But for me, like those are like the, the pointers that I took from it. Does. And then real quick, I got five more minutes left with you. Uh, you said it was about 50 of y'all that showed up. You know, I want I want the listeners to see that it wasn't just you going over there. It's a ceremonial thing. You know, it's a, it's the, you know, just for, it was about 50 of you guys, right? Yeah, there was a group of people there. You know, we had a great time. And it was really awesome, too, just being there with you know, our cousins. And then also just sitting there seeing all our other uncles. And, you know, people were just really proud, right? Um, was there any yeah. like uh, village dancing? You know how you see on TV when it comes to like other nationalities, when they do celebration, you have like the women, were the women doing something different and the men were doing something different? I know when it came to bestowing the title, you guys had uh, to block the women outside or the kids too. What, what was going on on that side? Yeah, so traditionally, um, like uh, women are not allowed to become um, Matai's anymore. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand is, you know, they they stopped that after uh, Tui Manua, who was a woman. So we used to have a Tui Manua who was a woman. Um, they said that something tragic happened to her, you know, like I guess she burned or something. You know, they don't know. And they, you know, potentially there was a, a curse. And this is just hearsay, right? And so from then on, they say they banned, you know, um, women from being, from becoming Matai's, you know. It used wow. to be a thing. Now it's not a thing. So, um, but in in the Matai culture, um, 
or in the Mongol culture or in the Baifalula, yeah, it's 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 all run by men, you know, so all the fiaus, the kaingasua, um, everything. Everything is run by the men. There's a boundary that you're unable to cross. They set the boundaries on two sides of the Malay Kele, you know, and people are supposed to honor those boundaries and no one is able to come in after that. You cannot come into the Paifaleula unless you're part of that chief group or you're on a manga that's working and that everyone else is like kind of like on the outskirts, just kind of waiting for it to end. Uh, when you do in the mood, when you're going into the mood, it's not as like protected. You can watch women, women can be involved in there. Right? But again, all of it is run by, by men, the Ava, everything. Um, it's all run by the, by the men. Interesting. Yeah, man. So uh, maybe down in the future, we'll get you and some other chiefs to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really into the uh, Manua side because that's where I'm from. Uh, educating myself, too, you know, as far as the culture goes and stuff like that. It's just representing Magua, you know what I mean? Shining some light on our, on our, uh, where our, our parents were from, you know what I'm saying? But Fotoli, sure. man, that's all the questions I have right now. Uh, I thank you for, uh, you know, extend, allowing me to have this time with you. This, we went over what I normally like to stay at within an hour because I wanted to cover a lot of stuff and you're a busy person. I want to make sure I cover everything and and get this going, bro. Um, to the listeners, there you have it, man. I don't know about you, but I was uh, well-informed. We were talking about politics. We were talking about stuff that I don't know any other coconut that's been through. The uh, School boards, making a difference in your city. We're talking about cities, man. San Francisco's a big city. I'm pretty sure you was in, uh, educated and you were uh, entertained. You know, if you want to find out about Fotoli, like you said, you can Google him. And then we'll leave more in the description here, man. But, brother, thank you for your time, man. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah, yeah and we'll stay. Uh, we'll talk more. But until then, man, I'm your host, Puni Moore. I got my man Fotoli here. And we're out, baby. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Why? 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 Why?